Well, as I said, have that passage open, Ephesians 6. We're going to look at that together um, this morning. Now, uh, as we think about this uh, book together, we're going through Ephesians. We're going through the whole book together, and we need to remember a few things as we jump into chapter 6. We've been looking at this for a few months now, this book, and we're going through it. But as we do that, we can forget what's gone before, because we didn't look at Ephesians 1. It was months and months ago when we were looking at Ephesians 1. But originally, Paul wrote this letter to real Christians at a real time, in a real place in Ephesus, and there he was saying, look, he was telling them these things, and they'd have sat down, they'd have all heard this together as a church in one go. So they would remember the start of the letter as well as the end. But sometimes when we look through it like this, we can sometimes forget what's gone on before. That's why every week I want to remind us, remember chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are telling us, look, what God has done. We cannot be good enough for God. It is not about being religious. It is not about trying our best. It is about saying, God, I can't do this. I need you. Will you save and rescue me? And when we know that, we see what God has done for us in Jesus, his son. When we see what the Father has done, how much he loves us. When you see all the plan of salvation. And when we say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. When we realize that, then chapters 4, 5, and 6 make sense. Because then we see, wow, God loves me that much. How can I live for him? What does he have to say to me into my life? How can he help me in my need? So it's easy for us to jump to, if we just jump into chapter 5 or 6 and see these instructions, it's easy to hear, oh, Christianity is just um, tips on life. But no, 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 Christianity is about what Jesus has done for us. It is us saying, Jesus thank you for saving me, thank you for rescuing me, now how can I live to follow you? Really important we remember those things t- today. Now as we come to look at this passage today, you'll see that we're looking at parents, children, um, slaves and masters, we'll look at that word slaves this morning as well, but it's going to help us to think about work and how we view work as Christians. And as I said earlier, perhaps you're thinking, well I'm retired, can I switch off? No, you can't. You need to listen. For a few reasons, there's going to be truths you will see that are applied to us all. But as well, there are people in church who are working and you need to know how to pray for them. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm not a parent or my children are grown up. Can I switch off for that section? But again, no, please don't. Please listen in. Pray for parents in the church and pray for children in the church and pray for others. We need to pray for one another. So please do listen in. We're a church family. We want to help and encourage each other. But as we look at this passage, there are three things I want to say, kind of to start, that will, will apply to all of us, that these, um, this passage helps us with. The first is this. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Because look who Paul talks to in this section. First of all, he says, children. Listen up, children. He's speaking to you. God wants to tell, tell you something. So Paul is saying, look, children, listen. And he said, then he goes on to say, talk to parents. Parents, listen up. Then he speaks to slaves, or you might have bond servants. Again, we'll look at that word in a moment, but listen up. Then he speaks to the masters, those who are the bosses. Listen here. So here, at the start of this, notice what we're seeing. In the church in Ephesus, we're children, we're adults, we're parents, we're slaves, we're masters, they were all there and they were all listening together there was a mix of ages 
there was a mix across society a mix of kind of people who were rich and people who were poor a mix of young and a mix of old jesus saves everyone all ages any backgrounds and so sorry sinners as well yeah we're all sinners we all need jesus don't we jesus has come for everyone if you look in the in the book of acts there we see the start start of the church in philippi and paul is there sharing the gospel with people in philippi and he the, the church it shows us three people who become christians the first that they meet is a slave girl and a slave this slave girl is well she's going through such anguish and turmoil she's possessed by demons and god saves her she is a bottom of society nobody cares about her but she was now part of the church in the same church we see lydia lydia was a very successful businesswoman uh, very rich very well off very highly thought of kind of the top of society as it were she was she became a christian god opened her eyes to see the gospel she was part of the church in ephesus and then we meet after uh, paul is thrown into jail there's a jailer who is looking after them he becomes a christian so here is a working class man uh, uh, somebody who's you know um who's got a respected job maybe a retired army man and so you've got the slave girl the, the nobody of society you've got somebody who's very well off and you've got somebody just average joe as it were all part of the church in philippi everybody's there and you know what they're all equal in christ all the same as terry told us we're all sinners we all need a savior jesus is for everyone in in, um, in this day and age in the first century in, in rome roman times children weren't seen as important as they are today we kind of uh, revere children today you know, we're very highly looked after and cared for back then they weren't really seen as that important they were just uh, a bit of a pain really and they were ignored and there were household codes written back in roman roman days which is instructions for households which is similar to what we see here but you know what they were always addressed to the to the men always addressed to the kind of dad of the family the father he didn't speak to the children but paul here he gives dignity to these children he says i want to talk to you you matter to god he speaks to these slaves who maybe other people would have cast off as nobodies and he says let me talk to you you matter to god so that's why i'm saying look even if we see oh well i'm not working i'm not a parent i no look what's going on here jesus is for everyone he is for all now as a church how does that help us and what difference does that make to us well we need to pray we need to be ready and to be ready to welcome people from all types of backgrounds we need to be ready to welcome people from um, all types of ages we want to pray don't we that we have a church that is uh, full of young and old full of people in the middle age to um to whatever we want everybody to come we want everybody to hear the gospel because jesus is for everyone time and time again we see in the bible that the church is a diverse group people who would outside of church disagree with each other politically might be on other end of the spectrum and yet in christ in jesus we know that we are one in him and we're all equal remember what we saw in chapter 5 verse 21 submitting to one another remember who paul was saying that to slaves and masters together you're to submit to one another so in a church somebody who was like the ceo would have come to somebody who was maybe bottom of their company whoever that might be and they should be ready to serve them say look how can i help you how can i put your needs before my own 
It's a beautiful thing. It's how things should be. This is a taste of what God wants for humanity. Jesus is for everyone. Now, let's just deal with, before we go any further, that word in verse 5. If you've got, in your Bibles, it might say slaves, it might say bond servants. Um, often people look at that and they say, well, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible says slavery is okay. And if the Bible says that, then I'm not listening to it. And a lot of people would say that. They might cast out and just say, no, I'm not listening to anything in the Bible because um, oh, it says slavery is okay. Now, we need to deal with that before we move any further, just because that might be something that's in your mind, or maybe you've heard it being said. Uh, it's something important to say. Well, um, what we need to realize is this. When we hear the word slave, we can often think we go to one place in history, don't we? And I'm sure most of us, when we hear, hear the word slavery, we think of the American slave trade, which was a horrendous time in human history, wasn't it? Just disgusting what happened there. People horrendously taken against their own will from their homeland to be subjected to this lifetime of slavery um, that they had no say in. They had no rights. They were treated horrendously. And it's just a, a blight on the history of humanity. That's what we think of when we hear the word slavery. But actually in um, the Roman Empire, the slavery was a diff very different setup to that. It seems that somebody's worked out that probably over a third of the residents in Rome were slaves. Um, and it would be similar in a big city like Ephesus, like uh, Paul would have been writing to here. So there's a few things we need to note that's different from the slavery we might think of in the American slave trade and the slavery in Rome. Now, it doesn't mean that the slavery in Rome was perfect and great and rosy. No, there were lots of issues that were wrong with it, but we need to be aware of this. First of all, the slavery back then in Roman days was not based at all on race. There were people from all races who were slaves and they had masters. Now, as well, we need to realize this wasn't a lifetime sentence in the Roman Empire. If you were a slave, then you were paid. You were, it was like a job. You were paid for it. And what um, you could do is when you were 30, you could choose to leave. You could pay and get out of that contract. So you had rights in that sense. And, and in fact, most people did. When the time they were 30, they paid to get out of their situation and as well we need to realize that many slaves had really responsible positions and there were opportunities for them to grow and uh, and to get better jobs than than they were having so they could train up to a higher position and some of the jobs that the that people called slaves had were jobs that we'd look at really respectable jobs today so this uh, the fact that slavery actually gave people security in work so can you see that the slavery when paul is talking about slaves here is very different to what we might automatically think of when we think of slavery and hear the word slaves. Now, as I said, it's not, it wasn't perfect and there were things wrong with it, but Paul is talking into that situation. Paul addresses slaves, not because he's okay with it, but because he knows that is the situation. He says, well, how do we live with the things that are there now? And he's addressing, as I said, probably a third of the people in Ephesus when he's talking about slaves. So I hope that helps, just as we read through the, the words, you might, they can jar with us, and you think, oh, I'm not sure about that word slaves there, what's going on? Now do remember, it's not the same as what we might think of as that horrendous American slave trade. But the first thing to see here, before we jump into this passage in detail, Jesus is for everyone, parents, children, slaves, masters, everyone. So this morning, you might think, oh, Jesus isn't for me. Oh, no, no, I've done this, or I've done that, or this is my background. This is, Jesus is for everybody. And he is asking you, and he's maybe brought you here this morning to say, come to me. Trust me. Find out more. 
Jesus is for everyone. The second thing is this, in this passage shows us, Jesus is for everywhere. Jesus is for everywhere. Now, we looked last week at marriages and the home in that sense, and now he's talking about parents and children and parenting, and then we'll look at work this morning and how we should think about that with Jesus. But the point is, Jesus is telling us here, when, we, when you become a Christian, Jesus becomes your Lord. He becomes your king. He becomes your boss. He becomes the one who calls the shots. He's the one who has the steering wheel. The problem is, we are often backseat drivers, aren't we? Do you know what that means, backseat driver? Or a passenger driver? Maybe you're one, I don't know. Um, I know, if, I can see a few people giggling. Maybe that's because you know one or you are one, I don't know. But there's somebody who, there's somebody driving and the person next to them is basically saying, no, you should go that way. You should go that way. Oh, why are you doing that? Oh, you're going a bit too fast. Oh, and you, you know, a backseat driver. You, you want to be in the, have the steering wheel even though you haven't got it. Well, often with Jesus, we can be the same. Jesus says, I am the Lord. I am to be your Lord. Give me the steering wheel and trust me with it because I want to have say. I want to help you in every area of your life. When we look at who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and we remember chapters one, two, and three, he died for us. He gave his life for us. He's not saying this because he wants to spoil our life, but he says, look, I know what's best. I have the wisdom you don't, so please trust me. I want to be Lord in every area of your life. Now, this morning, is there an area in your life where you're saying no access? I remember there was a home I used to go to when I was younger of a friend, and it was a beautiful house, but there was one room we weren't allowed in. Posh antiques, perfect cream carpet, you know, and um, it, just, it just looked like something from St. Fagans, and we weren't allowed in there. I understand why now, but at the time you're looking going, oh, I'd love to run in there and run around and it looks great for a game of football in there, which is probably why you weren't allowed in. But there was a no access, you know. I wonder if you've got somewhere in your life, in your heart, where you're saying, I'm not letting God in there. I'm not letting God in that room. I'm not letting God in that area. Now, when we, if you become a Christian, you're saying, God, I want you to talk into every area of my life because you know what's best. Look at the mess I've made of it on my own. Jesus, help me. I need your wisdom. Don't hold back from letting Jesus into your heart and life in every area, okay? He wants to help you. He knows us best and he loves you. Jesus is for everyone and Jesus is for everywhere. And the last thing before we look at this passage in detail is Jesus transforms everything. Remember what we're looking at here. Jesus saves the Christian, chapters one, two, and three. And then chapter four, verse one, look what he says there. I, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've had. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. 5, verse 8, walk in light. 5, 15, walk in wisdom. Uh, chapter 5, uh, 18, then says, walk in the Spirit. You know, when we're called to follow Jesus, it changes everything. We're not walking in darkness anymore, but walking in the light. We're not walking in lust and selfishness anymore, but we're walking in love. We're walking in his wisdom. And that means that our lives are called to be different. And it will look different to those around us. We will do things different. We have different priorities. So when it comes to how we view work, it'll look different for a Christian than somebody who's not. When it comes to how we view parenting in a family, it's going to look different to how it would if you weren't a Christian. Jesus transforms everything. So I hope this morning, even if you think, well, these categories i don't fit into any of these jesus is for everyone 
He's for everywhere and he transforms everything. Now let's have a look at, first of all, what does he say? Jesus transforms family. Jesus transforms family, verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6. What difference does Jesus make to parents and children and how they're to view each other? Well, Paul starts, as I said, by addressing children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now that is telling us something, isn't it? Children aren't just left to do to their own devices. They're to obey their parents because they can't work it out for themselves. They need help. They need somebody to help them to show what's right and what's wrong. They need someone to help them um, in their lives. It's just um, neglect, isn't it, just to leave them to themselves. Who says, no, 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 children, you need to listen to your parents. Why? Well, we'll see in the next section, um, we're in a world that is, is dangerous. There's spiritual battles going on. There's, there's, a, there's a realm that we forget about. Spiritually, there's darkness around. And we need to pray for protection for our children. But as well, it tells us, children, obey your parents. Not just obey them blindly, but in the Lord. Parents are to bring up children in, verse 4, instruction of the Lord. We're to help them understand who Jesus is. We're to show them how good he is and what he's done. We're to help them to understand uh, who Jesus is and what the Bible is all about. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Tell them about Jesus. That's our priority. That is number one. The other things of getting a job and all of those things, uh, they're important and need to be done. But really our priority needs to be, Lord, help them to come to know Jesus. Help them to know who he is and what he's about. Now remember, how does a child become a Christian? A child becomes a Christian by grace alone. A, a parent cannot make a child a Christian. Only God can save. And so parents need to pray for their children to be saved. And we need to pray for one another's children, for God to work in their lives. I want you to remember that. We cannot save our children. And there will be times um, where we will feel at the end of ourselves. We might, uh, that's why it goes on to say, don't exasperate your children. Don't be too heavy-handed with them in case you turn them away. So we need to pray for our children to be saved. But there will be times where parents shouldn't obey their children. Uh, children shouldn't obey their parents, aren't there? If the parents are causing their child to sin, if they're being sinned against or abused, or, or as well when they've left home, when they're married. We've seen that um, last week, we see that when they leave the home and they become one flesh with another, then they're kind of out of their, child, their parents' responsibility. They, they leave and cleave. They go and um, now they have another allegiance. They're still to honor their parents, as we'll see in a moment, but not to obey. It's a different relationship then. But you see, until that point, children are to obey their parents. And parents, we need to be careful to know God's ways, to help them, to live it, to be an example. Now, remember last week we saw, looking at marriage, we needed the Spirit's help. We need the Spirit's help in all this. So please pray for parents in this church. Pray as they bring up children. It is hard work. Uh, and we are failures so often. But we need God's grace and we need the Spirit's help. So please pray. Look at verse 4 points out about parenting as well. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. We can make our children angry by being bad parents, by forcing them to do, um, to being too harsh on them. See, in the first century, children were seen as the possession of their of their uh, parents or the fathers and the fathers would come in as total disciplinarians you know it's my way or that's it that's it 
Um, but today, we're kind of the opposite. We kind of want to kind of be hands-off and say, oh, no, go on, you find your own path, you find your own way. But we're told, no, 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 there needs to be a way where we parent in the Lord, where we do that for God's glory, where we're hands-on and there's discipline involved, but we don't do it exasperate. Again, we need wisdom here, don't we? There's warnings and, and things we need to be careful of. But, you know, so often as parents, our motives can be wrong. And that leads to, as it says there in um, verse 4, leads us to provoke them to anger. Maybe we care too much about what other people think, and so we're overly harsh with them. Maybe we can just fly off the handle and be impatient and get angry. Or we care too much about our children's approval not to want to correct them, not wanting to upset them. Or we can try and live our past failures or try and live our life through them and put too much pressure on them. No, we're called as Christian parents to put our hope in Jesus and to let him be our guide, let him be our uh, help. And we can only realise that when we realise what God's done for us, can't we? The God who is so patient with us. Lord, help us to be that patient with our children. Think of how Jesus was with the disciples. So often, they just didn't get it. And yet he was patient. Yet he was kind with them. We need to reflect on his patience and kindness to us so that we can be patient and kind with our children. When we remember he saved us, we can't save them. God has to do it. When we remember he loves us, we don't need our children's approval because we're approved by, by Christ for what he's done for us. And as I said, we need the Spirit's help. So please pray for parents in the church. Pray for Christian parents you know to bring their children up in this way. Paul quotes, doesn't he, in verse 3, verse 2, sorry, one of the Ten Commandments. He says, honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's, he goes back to the Ten Commandments and says, look, this is how important it is to God. It's in, the, in his top ten. You need to honour your parents. And that, that applies beyond just children, doesn't it? That's for the rest of life. We need to honour and love our parents. And I know this morning that's going to be tough for some to hear, maybe because your parents aren't here anymore. And it's hard to hear, isn't it? And I know for others it's going to be hard because looking after your parents is just hard work. But here we're told, look, God honours this. He sees it. He sees what you do. He sees how you care and how you love. And it doesn't go unnoticed by him. So keep caring. Keep honouring. And let's pray for those who are doing that and who are caring for their parents in the fellowship. Now, as we look at the home, Jesus transforms it. Bring children up in the love of the Lord. Parents are to be honoured. Um, whatever age we are. But now, secondly, let's look at how Jesus transforms work, how Jesus transforms work. We've seen, haven't we, the difference between this, this word slaves, bond servant, uh, and slave in the first century, and, and what we can often uh, think of with slavery. Um, and that can be applied to our work situation today. That, that's how uh, this can show us what's important here. And the principle, what's the principle for how we're to view work as a Christian? The principle is in verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. So here's the overriding principle. Ultimately, in your job, if you're a Christian, you're serving Jesus. You're serving Jesus. Whatever you do, you are working for him. And if we grasp that, it'll transform how we view our lives and how we view our work. 
Because often we can think like this. The only people, who do, people doing God's work, the only people doing his, you know, the Lord's work are Christian workers, people who work for the church or missionaries. They're the only people who do God's work, isn't it? But here we see, no, no, everybody's doing the Lord's work because we're all serving Jesus. So whatever we do, and let me apply that if you're retired as well, as you go about your daily tasks, you are doing it for Jesus. You're doing it for him. So however menial the task might seem, you're doing it for him. He's your ultimate boss. This is really important for us to grasp. It's not just um, people who work for the church or missionaries who are doing the Lord's work. We're all, if you're trusting in Jesus, called to do it. Martin Luther points out in one of his books, think of um, uh, the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray for? Give us this day our daily bread. How does God answer that prayer? How does God answer it? Does he deliver bread to the door? Well, maybe might if you do your online shopping. You might bring your bread, bread to the door. But that's not what I mean. How does bread come to your possession? Think of how many people are involved in that answer to prayer. There's the farmer. There's the miller. There's the baker. There's the lorry driver. There's the shopkeeper. I don't think Martin Luther mentioned lorry drivers, but you get the application. All of these things used to answer the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Who is doing the Lord's work? everybody in that whole situation is doing the lord's work they're doing it for him doing it for his um purposes so when we when we think about our work we are doing it our big boss our ultimate boss is jesus and this is what he says to masters too isn't it in verse 9 masters do the same stop threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven your master your boss you're not the boss you're working for Jesus. So don't throw your weight around. Don't think you can lord it over them, as Jesus said. You don't lord it over them like the um, people who don't know God do. No, you're to, be, uh, to do that in a way that honors Jesus. It means that the bosses are accountable to somebody. It means there's somebody higher than them that they have to answer to. And the principles come back to God's words. You can't be a bully. You can't be horrible. But you're to honor Jesus. You're to be just. Now, again, the big principle when you work, your boss is Jesus. Can you see how that could change things? Let me just show three quick ways that it changes things. First of all, it gives us integrity. If you're a Christian worker, that is, if you work and you're doing it for Jesus, it'll give integrity. Why? Because we're to serve, verse one, uh, six, five, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleases, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service to god as goodwill sorry as to the lord not as to man that means you will serve god not just when people are watching not just when somebody's looking over your shoulder but you're to work as if christ is with you the whole time his back is never turned you know you don't have a break time as it were from jesus he's always with us he's always there and when we remember that, it'll bring an integrity to what we do. Think, you know, I'm doing this for Jesus. So I'm going to work. I'm not going to cut corners here because my boss is Jesus and he can see. His back is never turned. I'm going to honor him in everything I do. Can you see the integrity that would bring? And can you see how much that would help a workplace if we all did that? How that would show something of Christ to maybe our, uh, those we work for. It brings integrity. It also brings dignity. Perhaps you think... Uh, what you do isn't very important. Perhaps you think that your job isn't 
Uh, that, you know, it's not very high-flying, it's not very influential. But look at this. Who's your boss? Your boss is the Lord of the universe. You work for him. He's the one you answer to. And doesn't it give dignity to everything, even if you think your job is very small? See, Jesus is your boss and he sees you. You work for him. There's no task too small that he doesn't notice. No little act of kindness that he doesn't see. No little time um, used for his glory that doesn't go unnoticed. You're doing the Lord's work, so do it with all your might. He knows uh, what you're going through. He knows your frustrations maybe with your work, but there's a dignity to it as well. Don't think it's not important because you're doing it for Jesus. God sees you're doing it for him. Now, that might mean you're doing something small or menial in the house. You're doing it for Jesus. It might mean you're doing small, something small for the family. You're doing it for Jesus. He sees. His back is never turned. It doesn't go unnoticed with him. There is dignity to what you do. Just as an aside, let's make sure as well that you never look down on anybody in their work, but that we realize, no, actually, there's a dignity to everybody's work. And let's pray that people would come to know that they can serve Jesus in whatever they do. So there's integrity, there's dignity, and the last thing is this, stickability. I mean perseverance, but it doesn't rhyme. So stickability. Perhaps your boss is really hard work. And it's just really not nice going to work. And you really struggle with them. Well, here Paul gives us a, a way in, doesn't he? A way out of that. He says, look, look behind your boss. Look behind how hard they might be and see that you serve Jesus. He's your boss. He's the one you really answer to. Now, if that is you and you are struggling and you do find it hard in work, please share that. You know, ask for prayer. Say, look, I'm, I, I do find it hard. And let's pray for those who are in work here. I know many here this morning are retired. You know what it's like to go through work and, and to be there when it's hard, to have the boss who you don't get on with or where you've been unfairly fairly treated. So pray for those working uh, in church. Please remember them in prayer. And as we see, that, the, all those applications, those things, they work for the bosses or the, those working for them. Everybody's covered here. Jesus transforms everyone and everything. And it refers back to 521, 5.21, submit to one another. We're all to serve Christ together. So you see, there's a dignity here. There's an honor that God gives to work. Before the fall, um, Adam and Eve were told to tend the garden, weren't they? Bef that's before things went wrong. So we were made to work. There's something good about it. We can honor God in what we do. God, didn't he? He brought, um, um, he brought order, and we get the right way around, order out of chaos. And so we're showing something of God's character as we do that. Maybe you think, well, what's, you know, as you're cleaning the house, you think, oh, there's nothing much, is it? But actually, no, you're bringing um, order out of chaos. There's something that honors God in that. So everything, whatever we do, we do it for Jesus. So can you see this morning, I, I know as you look at children and parents and work, think, oh, well, what difference does that make? Jesus is for everyone. Everyone's included and he invites everybody to be part of it. Uh, Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everywhere. No area of life where we don't want him to say, I am Lord of that. Invite him in. Let him transform every area of your life and see his wisdom speaking into your life. And Jesus transforms everything, whether it's family or work, he does it all. Now, in all of this, just as we close, can't we see Christ? He is the, the true son. 
who was wonderfully obedient to his father. He is the one who was strong and yet patient and kind with us. He's the one who worked hard as a carpenter, but also he did his father's work, didn't he? In John 4, he said this, my food is to do the will, will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. What was Jesus' goal? What was the thing that kept him going? It was to go to the cross. It was to submit to the father's will, to obey his father. And then he was doing, he was laying down his life on the cross so that we could be saved so that we could let him into our lives and transform everything about us from the inside out. So when Jesus says, I want to be your master, I want to be your boss, we're coming to one who has done it all before us. He has stood where you stood. He has been where we are, and he can help us to live our lives for his glory. Maybe for the first time today, you need to say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe as you look at your work life and it's a mess, or you look at your life and think, oh, I need help here. Jesus is the one who can help. He's the one who speaks and says, let me help you. Let me speak into your life and let's serve him. So let's pray for one another, whatever situation we're in, whether we are parents or children, whether we are bosses or workers, whether we are married or single, wherever we are, we need each other. We need Jesus. So let's pray together for that. Let's pray before we sing our last hymn. Lord God, we thank you for your word that uh, it touches on every area of life, uh, things that uh, we need so much help with. And I pray, Lord, for those in work here today, those who might have bosses that they struggle with. I pray, Lord, please, that you would help them to persevere knowing that Jesus is the one who sees them. Jesus is the one who is their ultimate boss, who they can serve him. And I pray, Lord, that us as a church, that as we are workers, wherever we might be, we would do that with integrity uh, and know the dignity it brings and to keep persevering, to keep going, because Jesus is with us. So, Lord, we pray, work in our lives and help us. For the children of the church, Lord, we pray you'd save and rescue them. For the parents here, Lord, please, would you give wisdom to us in, in how we try and bring our children up in the Lord and what that looks like. Uh, and, Lord, we pray. Uh, whether we are grandparents, whether we've got no children, or um, Lord, whatever we do, we pray that we would do it for your glory and your honour. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>